I'd ask you please turn in the Word of God at this time as we come to meditate on the Scriptures prior to a time around the table. We turn to 1 Samuel in the chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7. I want to leave before you the verse uh, number 12. Uh, again, it's a, a well-known text that has been prayed over already this week. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. It's again, it's, a, it's an obvious text to take at a time of anniversary uh, celebrations. And let's consider it. And we'll read from the verse number 1 of 1 Samuel 7. And let's again hear the word of God at this time. 1 Samuel 7 and the verse number 1. And the men of Kirjath-Jearim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jearim that the time was long for it was twenty years and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel saying, if ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, And gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, And we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together in Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering wholly unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them, and they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came under Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Amen. May God indeed bless his word to your souls today for his name's sake. The Ebenezer stone is, of course, a stone that refers to that stone of help. The word itself means that. It is a stone of help, the Ebenezer. It was erected by Samuel to mark the work of God in helping and coming to the aid of the people of God. It served as a marker. It served, you like, as a remembrancer. A remembrancer for the good of the Lord's people to remind them continually that God and God alone had been their help. It also served as a reinforcer to their faith. It commemorated victory, a victory over the Philistines. But victory, of course, that only occurred because of the mighty intervention of God. 
It was, as verse 10 says, the Lord that thundered with a great thunder. And it was the Lord that discomforted them. And they were smitten before Israel because of the miraculous intervention of the Lord. The history here goes right back to chapter 4. In fact, it goes before chapter 4 because it goes back to the time when God met with Samuel and prophesied regarding the sons of Eli. And you have it back in chapter 4. You can perhaps turn back to 1 Samuel 4. And I'm not going to read the entire history, but we'll survey it very, uh, very briefly. But in 1 Samuel 4, you have the fact that the, the Philistines come and pitch an affect against the people of God. And they had a remarkable victory. And at that time, about 4,000 Israeli souls were slain. And the people of God thought to themselves, what are we to do in the light of such defeat? And the answer they came to was an answer of carnality, although it appeared to be on a faith as they brought the ark into the context of the battle. But they were not seeking God, they were seeking for, again, a superstitious help, using the ark as some form of, of superstitious uh, mark whereby God would come in his presence and give them the victory. You know, religion can be misused, of course, misused by the people of God in some form. They think that they are gaining some benefit from God, but the matter of religion is being used as some superstitious aid. Well, what happened was a time of great defeat for the people of God. Ichabod concludes chapter 4 as Phineas's wife gives birth. The child is named Nick Ichabod, verse 21, because the glory of the Lord departed from Israel, because in that battle the ark was taken, and the sons of Eli were slain, and Eli himself goes to meet his Lord. And so you have this time of defeat and ruin for the people of God. And what follows again in chapter 5 and following is really a, a fearful display of God's power. The Philistines were plagued and they in turn sent back the ark. And they had no right to hold the ark and, and God brought plagues upon them in light of this. And then of course we have the story of the, the men of uh, Beth Shemesh who looked in upon the ark. Again that fearful picture of coming before the law of God without the covering of a blood sprinkled mercy seat. Of course, the ark that contained the law, and they lift the mercy seat, that blood-sprinkled mercy seat, they lift that over 50,000 smitten by God on that day. And then, of course, it goes on, and the account continues with the men of Kirjat Yarim. They come, we have that in verse number one of our chapter, they come and they fetch the ark. And the ark stayed there for many years. While the ark was there, Verse 1 refers to how the people cried unto the Lord, and the Lord is pleased to hear their cry. And what comes afterwards, we've read the chapter, what comes afterwards is that God is pleased to intervene. Intervene on behalf of his people, so much so that Samuel erects this Ebenezer stone, places it there as a remembrancer, as an encouragement, as a reinforcer of the people's faith. I can imagine the father taking his son and saying in the ear of his son, Son, this stone is called Ebenezer, because hitherto hath the Lord helped us. The word hitherto itself is a, is a beautiful old English word, of course. It speaks of, uh, if you like, thus far. An acknowledgement of God's blessing up to this point. And yet not taking the future for granted. 
To this point, God has helped us. And yet as McLaren, the commentator, says, God's hitherto carries henceforward wrapped up in it. The fact that God has helped to this point is, if you like, it's a guarantee of God's future help on the behalf of his people. And so this weekend, as we, we look back, we reflect upon God's goodness in the past, and that's all good. I'd like to encourage us again this morning by, by looking back that we continue to look forward. This Ebenezer in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel is a memorial stone so that God's people would take note of how God has blessed in former times and also look forward for God to bless in the future. And in a very striking way, well, the Lord's table serves in a very similar fashion. It is a perpetual memorial, marking God's miraculous intervention in time. When Christ came into the world in the fullness of time, and God comes as our help, as our easer, He comes as the one who comes to help his people in the person of his own dear son. And so we, at this time, we, we mark the memorial. Not only as a church, but we, we mark a memorial every time we come to this table. And we can say, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. As we expect God to help us in the future. And in fact, when you come to study 1 Samuel 7, you will see that not only is the memorial a link to this table, but the event of this chapter, they themselves link our minds to what we do around this table. Note to begin with the people's recognition. The Ebenezer stone was erected to mark a victory that came in conjunction with the people recognizing their sin. The victory comes, I believe, in direct consequence of the people confessing their sin and turning back to God. Verse 2 refers at the end of that verse to the people of Israel lamenting after the Lord. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. The word lament has the idea of mourning the loss of a loved one. I know there's a number of you here and you will immediately readily identify with this word. A loved one has gone to glory. And perhaps even many years hence, you still find yourselves lamenting the loss, mourning the loss of a loved one, conscious of their departure, conscious of what? Conscious of the absence of their physical presence. You're mindful that they're no longer with you. And so that's what's being described here with the people of God. They, they realize the Lord has withdrawn from them. Ichabod, no glory. The glory of the Lord has departed. It took time for this to sink in. Again, there are different thoughts regarding the 20 years that are mentioned here as referring to how long the ark abode. Or is it perhaps more likely the time it took them to realize they had missed fellowship with God? Oh, yes. Ichabod was the name of the child. But it appears the child was well grown before the people of God realized and came to the point where they lamented after the Lord. It can take time for a backslider to see their loss. Samson wist not the Lord and departed. It takes time sometimes for people to realize that they've grown cold in their hearts, that they've grown away from God. 
May today, perhaps some of you, may you come to realize that for one year, two years, three years, you've allowed your heart to grow cold against God and you're no longer walking with the Lord. May today be the time you lament the Lord and realize you've lost out with God. May this table be a time for you to reflect upon that, to consciously realize the Lord, the Lord has not been with me. I, I, I felt the loss of his presence. A conscious awareness of lamenting the Lord. You see, they were not enjoying the Lord's favor. The cause is obvious. It is their sin. Verse 6, we have sinned against the Lord. They have been living lives of religious faithlessness. Religious, but no faith in God. And as such, they had allowed other gods to replace the one true and living God. You have there in verse 3 the reference of Samuel telling them to put away their strange gods. You know, Christ, he claims first place in our hearts. And when that is not so, we are always guilty of sin. You know, sometimes we limit sin to those gross acts, perhaps as murder or fornication or such things, and we, we limit sin to that regard. Whenever anything comes to your hearts that usurps the place of Christ, then we can say with Israel, we have sinned. We can confess we've allowed other gods to come into our hearts. And Christ does not take first place. This table is a place for self-examination. Examine yourselves. What are you with God today? Do you come, perhaps you're a child of God, perhaps you're a communicant member of this place, and you come and you realize when the elements are being passed around, you're going to take them to your lips and consume them. But truth be told, your, your heart is very cold. Truth be told, you've allowed other gods to come in upon you. Now is the time, a time of memorial. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. A recognition of God's help in your life. But perhaps, perhaps you've allowed yourself to go cold in your spiritual walk with God. Because whilst the cause is sin, the consequence is defeat and ruin. Whenever we fall into sin, there's always consequences. Even in the terms of the new covenant, the Lord chastens those he loves. And there are consequences here. We, we've read about them. We've discussed it, the numbers who died and the loss and all of those things. And even in verse number 7, when the Philistines come against them, what happens? When they heard it, they were afraid. They'd lost their boldness. They'd lost their courage. There's always defeat. They had come to the recognition that due to their sin, and without God, they were nothing. And if they did not have the Lord, they were going to be nothing. This table reminds us, this, these elements remind us of our sin. And they remind us of the absolute necessity of God's intervention on our behalf. If God had not intervened in time, we would be nothing. If Christ had not come... We'd all be in ruins. And right now, we'd be suffering eternity in hell. And of course, what is true in the historical sense of redemption is true for us personally. If you do not have the but God moment of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, then again, you'd be nothing. If God did not come as your help, where would we be right now? But God, quickened together with Christ as those who were dead in sin. And so we see the people's recognition here. But very quickly we also see the prophet-priest's mediation. And Samuel had that function here. He acts 
as the priest of God's people, as a prophet of God. God's blessing. God's blessing and victory comes grounded upon the work of a mediator. I've said, I've said already that the, the work here of God coming in victory is on consequence of the people's repentance and confession. But that being so, that there, there was still, they didn't deserve God's intervention. It came in virtue of Samuel's work as intercessor. Verse number 9, Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up. It's as he's acting as mediator, as intercessor, then the Philistines come, but God is ready. And God comes and smites them, discomforts them, thunders in a miraculous fashion. The help of God comes upon the ground of the mediator. Intercession. Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel. Of course, Psalm 99 refers to Samuel's act here. Moses and Aaron among his priests, and Samuel among them that call upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. And yet this intercession comes upon the ground of sacrifice. The burnt offering is received. The sucking lamb is offered holy unto the Lord. That burnt offering, the means of expiation of their sins, their sins being forgiven, God's wrath being appeased, His justice being satisfied. We should always properly understand the work of Christ in its completion. We should not, if you like, minimize Christ's work to what occurs on Calvary. There, of course, he is the Lamb of God. There, of course, his blood is shed for sinners. But Christ's work in completion is the work of the entire priest. As the one who offers, yes, himself, but also who then continues to intercede. To present the merits of his work in crying out for his people. And they're always linked Atonement and intercession. You hear the words of, of Hebrews chapter 9 again regarding the work of Christ. And he comes, Hebrews 9 and the verse number 11. But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and cows, but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He comes to pray on the ground of his sacrifice. So much so that as the unchangeable high priest, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Death and resurrection. He's the unchangeable high priest. Therefore, he continues to live to make intercession for us. Of course, in so doing, he fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. 53 in the verse number 12. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We're seeing that here. Offering and intercession combined whereby the Lord comes for the help of his people. God has been pleased to help us to be our God, our help. In 40 years, there's been a desire to progress the work of God here. And that advance is in terms of victory of the kingdom. 
The advance of the church of Christ, it is a kingdom work. Listen to uh, the shorter catechism regarding the second petition. In the second petition, which is thy kingdom come, we pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed, that the kingdom of grace may be advanced, ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. So what we've seen over the past 40 years is Christ's victory in the kingdom. As souls are saved, and as souls are kept in the kingdom. That's the victory of the conquering king. But such victory comes in consequence of his obedience to death, the death of the cross, wherefore God hath also highly exalted him. It is as the king that we have the security of God's help. It is, of course, Christ who loved the church and gave himself as husbands would love their wives, so Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. What's happening in our midst? Christ is sanctifying his church, cleansing his church in preparation for his presentation in glory. And we're, we're part of that work. We're a small part, but we are truly part of that work. And what's the ground whereby Christ sanctifies and cleanses in preparation to present? It is the fact he loved the church and gave himself for it. And so Samuel, he comes to recognize that God has intervened on the ground of intercession and sacrifice, whereby God came to be their help. And so we have our own memorial here right now. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. But it's a reminder to us that he's helped us on the virtue of Christ's atoning death and ongoing intercession. That he will never, ever fail to pray for us. As they asked Samuel, Christ will never, ever fail to pray for his people. Therefore, the help that we've known in the past, we can be certain of in the days to come. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And may God be pleased to help us in the years to come, both corporately and, of course, also personally. And that God would not only be the help of this church, but the help of you individually. And so come, come this morning, come to the table, examine your hearts, search yourself. Where are you with God today? But as you resolve by faith to keep on walking with God, may you then do so with the assurance that because of Christ's sacrifice and intercession, we will know the Lord's help in days to come. He is, oh yes, our help in ages past and our hope for years to come.